it's easy to be confident, happy, and brave when you have a ton of money and a ton of success. But then who are you if you don't have all that? Who are you if you remove all your accolades, all your successes, all your looks, all your beauty, all your money, all your assets? Then that's who you truly, truly are. And I think that it's your chance in that moment to decide who you want to be. And I don't think, I think that is the point of the human experience. Welcome to Consciously Alive, a weekly podcast about how to live outside the rules, go against the norm, and consciously create a life that lights you up and makes you come alive. I'm your host, Phoebe Greenacre. I'm a spiritual business coach, somatic therapist, and founder of The Self-Care Space. I'm equal parts business and equal parts wellness, and I'm here to tell you anything is possible. Let's dive in. I'm super excited to dive into this week's episode with Alexa Acosta. Alexa is a startup business coach, a feminist and super passionate about helping women get out of their comfort zone and show up online. She's also a mother of three, and she is a kick-ass businesswoman. So let's dive in. Fabulous. Welcome, Alexa. How are you? I'm good, Phoebe. How are you? Good. You're always shining with so many colors. I love looking at your feed and the makeup and the colors that you're bringing into this world. Um, Why don't you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're living right now. I'm Alexa. I am a business coach, um, feminist business coach, I'd say. Um, A lot of my teachings are deeply rooted in feminist theory, and I just help women start their businesses. Really, I'm a startup coach. I see myself as someone who has a lot of experience in helping women get from the zero um, point in their businesses to their launching and their first clients and supporting them through kind of the first 12 to 24 months of business and then that's when we kind of part ways and they go do their own thing and continue to grow on their um have you know they i I feel like my work is done at that point um i am brazilian by birth uh but i have been away from brazil since oh my god i'm getting super old (laughs) but like for now 15 16 years i lived in london for i lived in the u.s and london And then I moved briefly to the UAE um, for about two years, and I have arrived in Nairobi, Kenya, which is my husband's hometown, about a year ago. So I've been here for just over 12 months, and I'm a mom of three (laughs) girls, which is crazy. Um, And yeah, I lead kind of a digital business life now. Um, I've I've done a few other things in the past, um, but now this is what I'm doing, just online coaching and trying to grow that business. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So let's uh, rewind a little back to when we met in London. I was coming to your Pilates studio and I was uh, running my activewear brand. So, you know, so I feel like so many worlds have, you know, dissipated since that time. Um, Do you want to give us a little insight into what you how you felt in your body and in your business at that time. I think you maybe have had one baby at this time um, because I just want to share like a bit about your transformation and your journey and, you know, what what it is that you've done to find your light and to find what makes you come alive. Yeah, so 
I loved my studio. I opened a Pilates studio with a business partner in 2015, kind of 2016, before I became a mom. But I was already married and I knew I wanted to be a mother. Um, so I launched this studio because I come from an athletic background. I could never really have a sit-down office job. I just felt really depressed. I felt bossed around. It was really against a lot of my values. And I just, my soul just became so small. I had a job for like 18 months. That was it. Like, that's my career. And I started the studio because I love Pilates. It was one of the ways that I found my sanity when I had a London job. And I used to go to the studio. And after about a year and a half working for other people, that thing came to me that I was like, dude, you could do better or like you could do something that is different, that is more you. So I opened a studio called Fit at the time, which is a Pilates and hit. It was super exciting. I was kind of like riding that wellness wave in London, the fitness had become quite a scene. And um, I built a business in like a basement in the lower ground floor of a very dodgy building in North End Road. I worked really hard for it. Um, and then I had my first baby. Um, and I thought like, you know, I saw other people, motherhood, badassness, like work really hard, play hard, London life. Um, so when I had my first daughter in 2017, I was hit with a big... Uh, like, I think Saturn wasn't doing the return, but I only know that now. Um, but it was like, everything started to collapse, like in, a, in like a domino effect of like both my energy, my personality, like everything started to, there's a human coming in, by the way, but she, she'll leave in a second. Um, and everything started to kind of slowly like decline. I was like, I was at my peak and I was like, oh my God, I, everything started to go wrong. And I realized, and I can get into more detail about this, but I realized at that point that who I was, was not prepared for, for the life that I really had aspired to. And, um, I found myself very lost, very stuck. And like, I would say like, I wasn't well emotionally and mentally anymore. So I had mental health problems such as anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> and, um, I was trying to run a business at the same time. And at one point I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I was kind of telling about the childbirth and the business kind of my whole world fell apart. My whole world crashed. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. a lot of women don't realize whether it's the support they need, was it the education? Was it the mental preparation? Now looking back after now three kids to three beautiful girls, what have you done differently along the journey of each birth and at each point in your business um, what have you done differently to support your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and then also maybe your business well-being? Okay, so I think first things first is that I didn't, in 2017, there was no talk of mental health, okay? So I felt extremely lonely, and I feel so happy that it's changed so much, this scenario of women really feeling that they're that like whatever they're feeling is wrong and that they're alone and in their like emotional journey. Um, and I really thought there was something wrong with me, right? I thought I, you know, I was in many ways flawed um, as a human and I couldn't keep up. The best version of myself was not there. Um, and I really beat myself up for that. Like if you can think of someone who knows how to beat herself up, that was me. I had to return to work very fast because I did not have systems in place. I didn't like the studio did not live without me. I think I was 50% of the workforce and my business partner was the other 50% of the workforce. 
And she decided to quit the business when I was 38 weeks pregnant. So 50% of the workforce departed because we were struggling with a few things and she couldn't handle it. And so I became 100% of a workforce when I'm trying to recover from birth. So I suppose the question is, how, how do you do it? Is like you anticipate that you're going to need time off and you need to get your business to that point and your finances to that point before having a baby. Now, Digital businesses are great now. And this is when I decided to go digital because the overheads are quite low. So the worst case scenario is that you shut shop down and you might go a few months without earning money. So you either anticipate the savings for that or you get your partner to support you financially along that journey. So my partner has always been able to support both of us and the family. So dependency on money on my side wasn't crucial for me to get back to work very fast. And, uh, and, and I also maybe had some savings, so didn't keep so much pressure on me. The studio was very different because I had staff, I had, um, loans, <laughs> taxes, like it just didn't end because the studio was operating and it was bringing in the cash. So I would definitely think that giving yourself space to recover. Now, this is when it gets a little bit tricky because space is great, but not giving yourself a deadline can get you into a spiral of never returning. Um, when, especially if you have the conditioning that you should be the, the primary caregiver and that you need to do all the work and you can't hire help and you can't hire all those things. So lesson number one, hire help. Help is not a cost. Help is an investment. Women being the primary child caregiver is a, a patriarchal message and if you go down that rabbit hole, you won't be an entrepreneur. Mm. Like you will not be able to get back to money making because your business requires some level of creativity and commitment and time towards it. And so that's what I did. I said, I, I now that I learned my lesson that trying to do everything on your own, run a business and be a mom will get you into for me, like a, a very difficult place emotionally for you to be able to feel that you can carry on this load. There is a huge load on women. Yeah, completely. What? Uh, tell me about your relationship with your husband and childcare. And I, I know you um, talk about household, you know, things and responsibilities are, you know, quite equal. So I'd love to hear more. I think... You know, with my first, my husband had a full-time corporate job. He was out of London most of the time. And it was kind of, we were in this cycle of he's the breadwinner. So his work is the priority. I'm an, the entrepreneur. So my work comes second place. And if I'm going to try to maintain these two things, then it's all on me. And physically, he was not in the house. Like, he was just not there. And I know so many women are in this situation where, you know, the man is working more. And so, okay, if he can't be available, we need to pay someone to be available there for me. Okay, so that's number one. When we moved to Abu Dhabi, funnily enough, we are now in a pandemic and we have COVID. So we're both inside the house raising one child at the time. And I was pregnant of my second and I was building my coaching business from zero. So... That's when he started to be the equal partner because I was like, look, even though my business is earning zero money, like now we're in this house together. So I also want to succeed. And I know you're very successful and you're very generous. So how can we do this 50-50? So we started like delegating tasks. 
he would do certain things and I would do certain things. And that's when his bond with my daughter really grew. And that's when I think he, for the first time, he felt he was a father. Because for most of the time, he was just there. And he would be helpful when he could, but he wasn't around. So in COVID, he was around. So like, ah, great chance. You're not traveling anymore. We're going 50-50. And uh, the secret is to call them out, like, and to point out when they're showing, men are showing behaviors that kind of show that there's like a sexism happening, which it does happen naturally. Oh, but you're the mom or she wants the mom, or this is a mom's job. It's a mom's job to do homework. It's a mom's job to sit online with the child. No, it's not. In fact, he was doing um, a lot of the online stuff because I was like, I can't be bothered to do online classes. And he was like, no, he really likes academics and he likes school and he likes that system. So he actually felt joy in participating in that part. And I did the other parts, which I find joy in as well. Mm. Um, and now <laughs> with three, <laughs> it's funny because I was like, when I was pregnant of my third, I was like, I cannot carry like my second baby to put her to sleep because she sits on my tummy. My tummy was enormous. And I was like, can you just start putting her to sleep every night, even though she wanted mommy? And then we started to joke because she's your, she's your project now. <laughs> and so he kind of handles one of the children um, and I kind of do the other things and he has his own little project. And now he he's like, I only really feel like a dad after the first year when they like can come to me more and they don't need the mom as much. So we really delegate and I call him out on any behavior that I find sexist. And I feel it in my body because I feel belittled and I feel overwhelmed. The moment I start to feel overwhelmed in my life, it's because I'm not supported. And um, when I'm overwhelmed, I'm not the best version of me. And I tell him like going to these midday events and playing golf all day, like is sexist. It's leaving me alone with three kids. I think it's misogynistic. I think we need to talk about this. I don't think it's okay right now for you to have that lifestyle. And how do you do this without sounding controlling and stuff like that? So I just say, this is how I feel. I feel alone. I feel um, unsafe when I'm alone with three kids. I feel, you know, you could hire all the nannies, but they really want to be with their mom. But at least when the father is around, we can share the family. And so me voicing how I feel is really important because otherwise I become resentful and our marriage struggles a lot. Um, so evenings, if he wants to go out with his friends, it's not that I don't want him to go out with his friends, but if I'm alone with three kids in the house and suddenly they all wake up, how do I feel? You know, what's left of me? So I call out, I call out patriarchy and I point it out and he's always open to seeing my side of the story, um, which I think is really important that women voice sexism and, and gender inequality especially when you become parents because that's when it becomes much more exacerbated mm. i'm taking mental notes <laughs> and writing this all, all down um what do you think uh you are providing a pattern or a behavior for for your children now what kind of impact do you think that this is having on them and um, yeah, how, how do you think they're going to be little feminists running around in the world? I think that feminism is medicine, right? So I don't think it's, it's negotiable whether you are a feminist or not. It's whether you have the courage to step into that identity of change and if you care enough about it. Um, so yeah, I think it's like, I think they, they like to see mom working. I, I know the work. My daughter is always like, oh, I'm working now and I start my business. And I do think that's the future and that they are watching a household, which is kind of governed by two people. And maybe if I'm not the breadwinner, 
that we are equals no matter what. So I don't have to take on any shit because I am not providing at the same financial level at this moment. Of course, I'm not. I've just had three kids, you know, like. <laughs> um, and so and it's also them learning how to stand up for themselves, learning how to articulate their emotions, learning if necessary to scream and come out of the female norm of good behavior. Um, and I think this is the mother that I had and it's allowed me to move through life standing in my power because I have a family of women. I come from a lineage where we're mostly women of women who really talk and voice and express and fight and behave badly. If that's what it takes to be who they really are and like not take any bullshit. And, you know, sometimes my behaviors aren't appropriate and are not the norm for how mothers and moms should say and behave. Like my daughters say the F word all the time. I say the F word all the time. And they use it like Fiorella uses it in like the perfect context. Yes. I think it's really funny. I think it's really cool. And I know she could get into in trouble in school. Like I, I am calling her out on it. I don't know. You know, I say the F word a lot. What are you going to do? She's going to learn it. And so I want to, I want to teach her, but I'm also not raising the perfect little girls. You know, they're rebels and maybe that's what the world needs, you know. I definitely think I the it. world needs a lot less cookie, cook, cookie cutter good girls and a lot more rebels because rebels change or, or make change. They're the change makers and they're the um, yeah, they're the people that are making waves in this in in this life in this society that we live in now. Um, were you always a rebel? I was. I was, I was really difficult, um, as a child, <laughs> I was always in trouble in school. Um, especially as I, in my teens, as I gained like perspective in the world and I was no longer interested in what I didn't believe in anymore. And I think in school it became really, really exacerbated for me. And so I, I left school <laughs> when I was 16, 15 to play tennis. Cause tennis just was like, a little bit at least free you know at least like it's just a match and a training but like the school that I was I felt was a little bit too much in the sense it was a British curriculum very British school in Brazil and there you just put your hat down you do your work you get an A and people thrive in that environment now I could thrive in the academic environment but like I couldn't be silenced and that was like one of the things it was like, do this. No, I was always answering back to my parents at home. I was a nightmare, like do this. And it was no, and like my daughter is exactly the same. And I really struggle with it, by the way. And so it's hard. Um, nevertheless, I was a rebel, but I was always a high achieving rebel. So it was like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And I'm going to do well in whatever I do, because I have the energy to create. It's funny, I was watching a movie, Re Elvis Presley is like a rebel. Everyone was like, don't do this. And he's like, I'm going to do it. So I was a little bit like that. Don't wear your skirt like that. The next day I would wear my skirt like that. <laughs> don't, don't reply like this. The next day I would reply like this. In my job in London, they were like, you have to do this every day. And I just wouldn't do it. And I was just like, fire me. Get rid of me. Like, sack me. I don't care. You know, and so I always tested these limits. How far can I go <laughs> before I get into a lot of trouble? Um, and I just be willing to take these risks and everyone's like, you, it's too risky to live like that. And I was like, well, maybe one day I'll, I'll go to jail. I'll have a fun story to tell <laughs> um, in the most normal way possible. But yeah, I don't yeah. take any bullshit. So what has that uh, character of rebellion and risk taking given you as an entrepreneur and business owner? 
So the risk taking element, like, was is a big element for me, like, because my mom taught me how to take risks. So if she was she was a single mom raising two kids, she's like, I'm gonna put them in the top school. The risk is I don't have income to pay for that at the end of the month, but that's okay because I'm gonna figure it out. Like I'm gonna figure out how to make all the things that I want happen. And so whenever I've taken a big risk in my business, and you know, the first big risk you take is maybe that first financial investment that you make. So let's say the studio was like that risk I took. And I was always like, it's a risk, but I'm going to figure it out. You know, like I'm going to figure out how to get this profitable as soon as possible, even though I had no business like background or any skill or practice specific. I was just like, okay, maybe I just need to like make this happen. So what this does, it enables you to grow. So I've never stayed stopped. And I, the success I have is because of all the risks I took, like re- taking out loans. A lot of women are like, oh, loans are so bad. Debt is so bad. Like it's shameful to take out debt. And I was like, no, debt is necessary to be able to go forward. Otherwise, I either have to be born rich, right? Or I have to go work 20 years for someone else so I can save the money. Or I can just borrow some money from the bank and pay them back. So I always told myself, okay, What's the worst that can happen if I borrow 10K and my business doesn't make that 10K? I put the mass in a spreadsheet. It's six years to pay 250 pounds a month. I was like, I can babysit, I can wash, I can clean, I can t- teach tennis, I can walk dogs if I have to, I can, I don't know, waitress, I can work at Starbucks. Like I was always like, I that risk is okay because I'm willing to deal with the shame that would come if I fail and just have to go for the plan B, which is like to get a job to pay for the loan that the business couldn't do. And I never came to that point, but the courage was that I could keep going. And so even when I came into the coaching business, I had literally $20,000 and 18 of those 20 was to get my certification. And I was like, let's go. Let's drain the bank account one more time because it's in that moment that I become, it's when I take that big risk is that when like I ignite to, I grow, And like this whole new version of me has to come out. And that's a beautiful thing for me. It's like the only way I grow is when I put myself in harm's way. And I've done that many times. Mm, Completely. I love it. Every time that I've up up leveled in, in a huge investment, whether that's with a coach or a new program or a new training, like the most beautiful metamorphosis happens after it. Like, and... What would you say to uh, the community at home that are listening, that are scared to take that first big risk? What would your advice be? I would like, I would, I, I love like the coaching call where you're playing all the worst case scenarios, right? So I play all the worst case scenarios with my clients. And I think that once you've done that, at least ask yourself, like, what do you think is the worst thing? And then go, and if that happens, then what happens? And if that happens, what does that happen? You'll find that if you lose everything, because that's the biggest fear. What if I lose everything I have and I'm like in a shit pit of shame at the rock bottom? And, and then that's the only way you know what is your true relationship with yourself. It's easy to be confident, happy, and brave when you have a ton of money and a ton of success. But then who are you if you don't have all that? Who are you if you remove all your accolades, all your successes, all your looks, all your beauty, all your money, all your assets? Then that's who you truly, truly are. And I think that 
it's your chance in that moment to decide who you want to be. And I don't think, I think that is the point of the human experience, right? I think that is the, the purpose of our lives is to find out who we really are. And, and it's the best way to do that, I think, is by taking big risks and being an entrepreneur. I don't think there's an opportunity for getting to the core of the purpose of your life until you hit a rock bottom or and like it will come someone mm-hmm. something will go terribly wrong and that's when you find out who you really are and then that's when you can really live your purpose um so that's my advice play the worst case scenario and decide who you want to be yeah you want to be the person who got stuck forever and complained and your story at the end of your life is that oh had all these chances and didn't go for it or do you want to write that story and you're the hero of that journey and you're telling your grandchildren i think that's the point of living Mm, 100% I am 100% there with you if you're feeling like you need a boost of confidence or you're feeling like it's been a while since you've been in touch with your body my online platform called the self-care space has more than 250 classes and rituals to invite you home to your body to feel grounded, to find peace, and to connect with that inner confidence and that inner five-year-old that just wants to dance and play around. She's in there and the, the rituals and classes inside the platform help you to reconnect to you, help you to realign to who you are and realign to your authentic self. You can start your free trial today at theselfcarespace.co. You talk a lot about online about the re- the reason why women maybe don't succeed in business as much as men or don't earn as much is because they're afraid of self-promotion. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how um, women, that are, mostly there are women on this podcast, so how they can get past that or what's the first step to really, you know, getting rid of that fear and, and you know, stepping into self-promotion? Yeah. So I've, I have, you know, like you and me, we all know that like building a business online is super scary. Okay. So mostly because of the aspect of two things. So self-promotion is been studied, right? There is the idea that you're going to articulate, uh, um, you know, talk about yourself, talk about your successes and promote yourself and t- talk about your business and your offer and your clients. So There's two theories, right? That is like, why is this so painful for women? One of them is the modesty norm, that women are expected to be modest, right? Most women, whatever country you come from, you have a religion and there's an expectation on the behavior of women that modesty is the norm for women. So when you find yourself, let's say, taking a selfie or talking about your offer or making a video or creating that value, emailing some clients, or maybe it's just like, DMing somebody to have a chat, you know, you find yourself outside of that norm. And that is like, it's a behavior that maybe your parents told you wasn't adequate, or you just received some messaging from somewhere that that isn't adequate. When you step out of that curve, your body freaks out and you literally start to try to bring yourself back to the norm, to the norm of modesty. And so that is one of the biggest things because it's cognitive dissonance. The behavior that I'm expected is not the behavior that I'm showing. I'm probably breaking some rules. Let me go back to where it is. And this nervous system struggle is what keeps women kind of in and out of their content creation and in and out of their 
business. It's like, I'm going to put energy in. It's going to feel super awkward. I'm going to feel the shame, pain. Something's wrong with me. I'm going to retract. And so they don't create consistent content. They don't show up consistently. And obviously work with a target market that is a startup market. A lot of these women have never had Instagram, social media accounts. They haven't been openly visible before. So this is a big thing for them. It's a big deal. And so the second theory is like the backlash theory. But if I do this, if I say this, if I show up like this, will someone say something to me? Maybe a work colleague, maybe an aunt, maybe a grandparent, maybe God knows, maybe your children. And so what if they do say me? It's like that fear of like what other people are thinking about me as I'm in this process of trying to bring attention to my business and my ideas. So both theories, probably everyone experiences both of these um, aspects and holds women back from consistently showing up online and being visible enough to get the result that they're looking for in their business. So what I've seen a lot is launch, excitement, get in front of a lot of people and then like literally freak out. I'm too much. This is too much. Like I am. And then they're like, I ran out of content ideas. Or I ran out of inspiration, start to prioritize of other things, disappear off the web. And that's when you see that the business won't be built. So if I can keep a woman um, believing in herself and showing up to market her business for a consistent period of time, enough to see the results, I have a person who has an asset and has a business. And so the coaching is really around trauma, um, but not like I'm not a trauma coach, but I'm a trauma aware business coach. So let's have a look in your life. Like what are those little points in life that Someone might have said something to you. Someone might have, you know, you might have been bullied as a child. I was bullied. I think everyone has been bullied. Like someone might have said something to you and maybe a group of people created a story about you, right? I've seen that a lot. So being trauma aware and talking to someone about your shame and your fears and your traumas is already good enough rather than letting yourself be like, but this is just not me. Posting a selfie is just not really me. That is a trauma response. That is a sentence you've created in your mind to hold you back from any type of visibility. Um, so I teach visibility as a, a mindset thing, but also as an action thing. So can I shamelessly self-promote? And that's why so much of my work is about standing in front of the camera, wearing really bold colors. And I was like, yeah, eyes on me. <laughs> I feel the shame, but I do it anyway. And working through your confidence, writing letters to your past self. Like if there was a trauma, if there was something that you really struggled with, because I did, let's rewrite that story. Let's heal from that episode in your life and we can move on. So I'll give you an example. When I launched my coaching business, I felt so much visibility shame. I felt I had failed at my Pilates business. Like I felt I had been, you know, because I lost a lot of money. I had lost maybe sixty to a hundred thousand dollars in that business. I felt like, oh my god, you're such an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You're probably going to fail at this as well. Like, I mean, who would even listen to you? You're like a life coach, Pilates teacher to life coach overnight. Like, no one's going to buy this. Like, I had so many stories, and I still have all the journal entries of this conversation that I was having with myself. And I was like, God, like the anxiety was so debilitating to go online and promote my coaching business that. I didn't sign any clients for maybe six months and it was really, really agonizing. I would like the anxiety. I didn't even know what it was. The anxiety was so big. It was in my heart. And then I sat down with myself and I wrote a letter to my past self and I revisited the trauma of the pre I had business PTSD. Basically, <laughs> I revisited it 
I cried it. I had felt rejection, shame, abandonment from my business. I mean, so much shit was in my mind. And I cried, I cried, and I released. And then I realized this is the only thing that's going to get in my way, is the shame and the fear of what other people think about me. So I'm going to get out in front of that camera. And I watched other people do it. Like, I watched you do it. I watched other, uh, you know, people in our industry do it. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And then one day I was just like, fuck, you know what? I'm going to put my nice outfit on. I'm going to start taking some selfies. I'm going to start taking some videos. I'm going to start a, a podcast. I'm going to start doing the shit I know I need to do. And um, that's what created the result. Now, was it overnight? No, it took a while to align the niche to the messaging. There was some business aspects to it. But I was like, every day I'm going to put my face in front of that camera no matter what. And And healing from that past experience was really useful. And then... Every day I remove a layer of shame. Every day I I feel fear and then I work through it. And now I'm much more acquainted with my subconscious way of thinking. What were my triggers? What are my traumas? And there's one more layer that, I, that I'm really working on. <laughs> one thing that I know is keeping me a little bit like stuck and maybe a little bit hindering me. And I'm excited to do some different subconscious work, maybe hypnotherapy, you know, different work to keep removing these layers it's it doesn't come off and you're done it's like every time you discover a little bit more about yourself and um and this is what i'm committed to teaching because i think this is the secret if we can get more women to be out in the world showing their faces and advocating for whatever mission they have whether it's business impacts like at work getting promoted i think we have a better chance for equality um, and that's why I do like social media. I think it's it's a healing tool as much as it is a very toxic tool, but it is a healing tool because we can finally put our face, our voice, and our mark in the world and connect with the people who are aligned. So I'm a big advocate of building a social media presence. Talked yes, a lot now. Su- super important. No, it was all amazing. So important. And um, I think sometimes people will look at people's day 10 years. So I've been an entrepreneur for like nearly nine, 10 years now. And people come onto my page and think, oh, wow, she has it all together. But like, if you were to go back even just two years ago, I didn't do Instagram lives or get online or anything like that. This has only been in the last two years. And I'm sure people would go onto your account right now and look at all of the beautiful lipsticks and bright colors and like see how confident you are. Um, and would be like, wow, I could never do that. Um, so it's just, you know, it's like a little blimp in the history of time on, on your timeline, my timeline. And so for people listening at home, if if you're scared that you don't feel like you're as confident, say, as me and Alexa right now, that is okay. It's baby yeah. steps. Yeah. Baby steps. What do you share with your clients when they are feeling, um, okay, so you've, you've identified they have trauma um, probably from primary school or someone's told them that they're, you know, not good at something. Um, where do you go from there to, to then, you know, transforming and feeling confident getting online? Okay, so I think that we give them tools, right? We give them business tools because I think a lot of times as well, women in business, they have the story that like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to write the content. I don't know how to create the story, uh, how to get the followers, how to get the engagement, right? And how to convert. So I think part of this is to teach them the how. Okay, 
So what is your favorite thing? What feels comfortable right now? Let's take it to that step. So is it stories? I think stories is like a very um, entry. It's a very good entry level um, self-exposure thing because if you don't want to be face fronting, you you know, you can create content that isn't your face in front. That's what I did for so long. So it's like, if you had to pick one, what are we going to go for? Okay, let's just promise that we're going to show up and do some stories every day. And I'm going to teach you the art of Instagram stories. I give them examples. I think when someone is armed with tools for business, really like, let's work on writing content. Let's work on offers. Let's work on this. So knowing what you sell, knowing the value of what you sell, knowing that people need it and shifting the mindset that selling is creepy and weird and to a mindset just by changing the way you think about it to my work is needed in the world and there are people who can benefit from me showing up. It's okay, can we focus on that? So showing up becomes like the first thing. Can we just create show up every day, teeny weeny little bit? Then let's start to tie this into your offer. Let's learn how to believe in the offer. So if you arm someone with business tools alongside the mindset, their chance of performing really well is much higher. And um, I do like to start people in their comfort zone. So what is most comfortable right now? Let's take action there and slowly increase the visibility to different angles until they feel safe to do all of the things online. Um, for some people, they didn't have a big audience, but they had a LinkedIn network. Let's say people, corporate women who are transitioning. I was like, let's go to LinkedIn. Let's go to the people you know. Let's just reach out by email. That is visibility already, right? And now a year, two years later, it's like videos, lives, masterclasses, like, you know, like full, full face reels. <laughs> and I think that like, I think then I've won in life. Like when I see a client do that, it's way more important than like, have they made $20,000 this month? that's okay. But like, she's in front of the camera. She's living her purpose. She's talking to the world and she's showing up. Like for me, that's like, wow, you've come a long way. Completely. I, I have that like proud moment every single day when, um, when I see my clients online and doing the things and kicking goals, it just makes you feel so, so, um, satisfied with what you're doing in life. Yeah, it's good. That's the good, that's the feel good feeling really. Completely. Um, what was something that you grew up with learning that you have chose to consciously unlearn? Great. Yeah, I think that like I come from a family of extremely academic and like um, PhD, very career, traditional career people who like my mom is a doctor and I saw her business did well, but also she was, always, she was always playing small and like not self-promoting her business. You know what I mean? So when she sees, so I have this like internal dialogue when she sees me doing this type of business and earning this type of money, I've had a lot of issues thinking there's, I'm doing something really bad or something really wrong. I think it could come around like shame and imposter syndrome thing because my mom's a Harvard PhD doctor, right? And my coaching business online, making these videos and helping some people might help me like I could be wealthier than she's ever been. We're in a different scenario than we were like in the eighties and nineties. Right. But like, um, that makes me feel really bad. Right. That makes me feel really bad that her life and career were so much more difficult than mine. 
Um, and so even though that's probably what she worked for so that I could be more successful and more happy than she was, like that is a, a trauma that I have that I need, that I'm deeply, deeply working on. And it's, I don't think she's done. I don't blame, but that's the type of socialization that I've received that like, you know, out earning your own mother, like and having an easier life. I feel like I, I'm, I owe her something, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I have this trauma that I'm working on. Um, she's never said anything, but there was a lot of Alexa, you're too much. Alexa, don't wear that. Alexa, you're going to show all that skin, um, cover up here, wear this instead. And she still does it. So sometimes like, you know, throw on like a really glamorous dress. She's like, Oh, you're going like that. I mean, and I tell her, mom, you know that this creates a lot of shame in me. And like, you always, it feels like you're trying to put me down. And she's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're saying like gaslighting. Like, Oh my God, why would I ever put you down? And I was like, well, then what does that sentence mean? So I think I do have some like mummy struggles. She's obviously a big person in my life, which has allowed me to be the person I am. And then at the same time, there was like these mixed messages, like go after your things. You're so such an amazing presence. You should go get your, you're awesome at this and the same time, but you're wearing this and you're talking like this and you're showing up like this. Oh, you're so full of yourself. And I've had these comments from her. And so in my mind, I'm always like, am I too much? Like, is this wrong? Is this not classy enough? Uh, it's the battles that I've had building my businesses, especially the coaching, because it's very personal brand oriented. And, um, <laughs> this is something I'm trying to unlearn, right? I'm trying to unlearn that I can be bigger than everybody. Like, and that's not a bad thing. That is, it would actually benefit everybody if I was the biggest version of myself. Um, so I struggle. I, I, that's sort of my, my, my things and, um, the things that I'm trying to work on in my, in my therapy or whatever, in my own journey. Yeah. It's so good that you're aware of them because a lot of people, when I ask that question, just, I like to ask it a lot, just in general conversation is that people think that the things that they were taught or they absorbed or learned um, that they have to stay with them forever. And I'm like, you can change those things. Like you can choose that, that, that rule or that kind of, uh, shame that someone gave you, you, you can say it's not mine and I, I, I'm not playing to that anymore, which is so powerful in, you know, in transformation in people's lives and, you know, choosing to live outside the box that well, I, I keep coming back to that because, you know, we're told as women, you have to, you have to look like this. You have to do this job. You have to stay in these rules. You have to be quiet. You have to be, you, you know, seen, but not heard and be small so that we stay small. Um, where, at what point in your journey, have you always been a feminist? Um, or have you always been a, uh, what's it called? So like a, you know, a, someone that speaks about feminism and what, at what point, what did it change for you? Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Cause I always felt so, you know, when you, I grew up with, um, my father was a difficult man and my parents were divorced. And I think that was my first experience of like sexism I didn't live with my dad but whenever I was around him so I lived in a feminist home and then when I was around like him it was like this level of controlling me and telling me what to do and I was like uh, I'm not familiar with this no one tells me what to do and so I fought for that from a young age my you know you have your fight flight uh, whatever freeze response mode my 
other two sisters would kind of freeze and flight and they would avoid any type of confrontation with the patriarch. And I would be like, well, fuck you. Like I simply, I'm, I'm, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Throw me out the window? Like you can't, you can't hurt me. And I kept like, he was like that person that I kept like crossing lines with. And you know, our relationship is that 50, 50, but whenever he was in that patriarchal moment of diminishing women, I was having none of it. So I was like, I will not be diminished by you. And this was from like five years old, six years old. It was like, no one has power over me. And so as I saw other women, I would always opinionate on them. I was like, no, no one has power over you. You can fight this. So I'm a big fighter. When I got to college, it was like, I had this energy in me that I wanted to like do something about feminism. And there was this big opportunity to do the vagina monologues, which is, you know, if big feminist manuscript it's historically very impactful for women and i was like i'm gonna audition and i auditioned and i got my uh role in the in the play it was a huge performance at the university and so um i hung out with all these feminists obviously (laughs) um and we put on like such a cool show and i hung out with all these really cool women who already had this political kind of messaging working for them and I did study journalism so a lot of the work that I did as a journalist on the campus uh, newspaper was trying to create articles um, about women and women empowerment um so I felt the desire to to be there but it was only when uh, and then I think for a few years like it was there but when I married my husband he wasn't really we didn't have that conflict, like, you know, between, you know, he always loved me that for being this really big version of myself, for being larger, he like likes it, he thinks it's really cool, like, you know, but motherhood was like when everything became very augmented and I didn't, I, and, and this is when I started to see, I was like, because until then, really, as a white Western woman, unless you have a very bad husband or a very traditional family, which I didn't really, you won't really see this. You'll play the game of life and in your 30s, you'll get so far and you might even feel that you're quite successful. But when you become a mother now, this is your make or break moment. So what I started to see, I had a Pilates studio. I had hundreds of women that used to come through the doors. Like, where did the women go? They had quit their jobs. They were all exhausted, burnt out depressed they had quit their careers they were no longer earning money and they were just playing into this like really old-fashioned role i know this because the full of moms no no one works everyone comes to like pilates every day depressed sad with bags under their eyes like this and i was like are you guys not going back to work oh you know i'm thinking about going practice are you why oh because and i was just and they were like i don't know what to do with my life i'm so unfulfilled i'm so tired i'm so burnt out and i was like why is no one talking about this because I was burnt out in another way. Like I had to do the business and the baby. Maybe I was a little bit jealous that they had, they weren't going back to work. But in a way, I was also like, what's going to happen to you in 10 years? And then what I saw was like, oh, let's just have another baby. Let's just have another baby. And no one was returning to the ambitious women who I knew six months before they had a baby. And I was like, so what's going on? I started to read. I started to like study like what is happening. And I started to find like this these rates of dropout at like 43% for four t- first time moms. By the time a mom is in her second or third child, there's only about 20% left. Oh my God, I started to become obsessed with this. I started to become obsessed with the what happens to a woman, a millennial woman, uh, you know, after children. And, and this is when I was like, guys, I got to say something because if you don't know the data, I do. And so I started to combine a lot of my content around the discoveries I was having, the articles I was reading. And I started to bring attention to this. This is a 
this is a patriarchy issue. And then I just started to say, yeah, this is it. You know, guys, this is what it is. We're oppressed. You're, you know, we're in a power struggle here. And it was when I thought business was the answer to a lot of these problems, you know, I started to teach business. It was very organic, but it was my discoveries of like, dude, where are all the women going? Where have we gone? We were all educated, ambitious, smart. And now everyone's at home making pesto pasta and picking up at school. Is that really yeah. what we signed up for? Or is it what we're, mm. we're sort of, you know, compromising on and will and silencing ourselves? Where has the desire gone? You know? Mm. Yeah, completely. Now that you've created an online business, you have freedom and flexibility and more time with your girls for people listening at home. And I know there's a lot of women in this community that desire to start an online business. If you were to go back and start it again, because you said for the first six months that you maybe didn't have any clients or low, not that many clients, what would you do differently when you were starting it for the first time? Okay. Here's what I would do differently. I would probably get like a one-to-one mentorship, like right from the get-go, because I was trying to guess my way into doing this. And because of that, like I, I did a lot of trial and error and I'm not saying trial and error is always part of the business, whether you have a coach or not. But I wish if I had just worked creatively with somebody, I would have tried to create something a little bit more concrete from the get-go. So what I've been doing is like, try this, try that, try this, launch that, like da 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 so I think that if I'd been, if I had invested more in support in the beginning, I would have narrowed down my niche and my messaging maybe from the first month. Maybe I would have been a feminist business coach from the first day. And I would have been able to more rapidly, um, have more impact and, um, work towards building assets, right? So digital assets are important. So again, I'm still in this conundrum. I've made a lot of money with my businesses, but I still, feel it's all a bit airy and I'm ready to like build something a little bit more concrete because digital work can can feel a bit like this, right? We don't have a bricks and mortar. We don't have like a, a physical product that we sell. So I would work with somebody, narrow down the niche faster, commit to the niche for longer um, than I did. And you will only be able to commit to a niche for longer when you are supported versus when you're trying to do it alone. Otherwise, what you'll do is like test, stop, test, stop, test, stop. So, and so those are the two main things. Um, and I would just keep doing like what I did showing up, learning how to create content, um, and, and really building the brand. And another thing I would do is I would build some level of a body of work. So YouTube channel or a, um, podcast or something, a blog, something that you could look back five years later or three years later that there's like something tangible there, which I have, but it's all scattered all over the place. You know, I'm a little bit ADHD and, you know, human design, many gen, like a little bit like all over the place. Also, I've moved country twice. I've had three kids. So my personality has gone. So many of my goals have changed. Every time I have a child or I move countries, like I feel different. And so obviously that can happen as well. Commit to a niche, get someone to support you on the niche, see it through um, and build a body of work. That's what I would do differently. Mm. 
I, I see you saying, you know, you, you're, you know, all over the place. You've got different, your goals change and you've, you've had lots of kids. But what I see is a beautiful chaos and you, you keep showing up and you keep evolving. And I think as women, as cyclical creatures that we change every single week with our hormones and what's happening is that like you're showing up exactly how you can in that time and, and still create um, you know, business, which is beautiful that we don't have to have all of our little perfect little squares and perfect little, you know, making leading into the, um, the narrative that we need to be good little girls and perfect little girls and everything needs to be in neat little boxes. So that's just my reflection, Alexa, that you are, you know, doing (laughs) the thing. You can do it messy, which is great. And, and I think it just depends so much on like, your own creative patterns. But one of the things that really liberated me to be able to live like this without feeling like, oh, I'm doing it wrong or it's a failure. Or I'm not capable of completing anything is the fact that I have the, I decided to work on the belief that it's safe for people to watch me be all over the place. You know, it's safe for me to people to watch me be a beginner. It's safe for people to see this journey and because I think the, the biggest fear is like, what is, is that one per- people watching me? You know, most people are not watching you. Okay. Most people have kids and shit to do. <laughs> so even though we feel when we get visible online that there is like a crowd, I don't know. This is what my belief was that they're observing me and like watching my every step and like critic ready to crit- point, point it out. That's how it can feel is that a, that's not even happening because everyone has a life. So take that way off your shoulder. But even if you do really tr- truly believe that that is true, the thing that most happen, it's okay for them to see me fail. It's okay for people to watch me be messy, clumsy, and not know what I'm doing. And it's safe for me to show up wherever I am in my journey. And when I thought in that way, and I was like, it's okay, it's okay whatever people can think whatever they want and it's okay it's still safe for me to go out there that's when like all the weight of expectation came off because literally we're just like doing it for the belief of what other people are thinking about it so it was like they can watch me be scruffy messy all over the place (laughs) change my mind as many times as I need to um and want to until I get to that place that is my sweet spot yeah and I would say finding the the journey, it's like not the destination of the sweet spot. It's like continually finding that sweet spot and like, oh, there's a sweet spot here. Is there a, a sweet spot, spot there? <laughs> Is this a sweet spot? <laughs> Is it really a sweet spot? I don't know. And the trial and error thing, like this is the whole game of business. Like there is no one rule book. There is no like, this is going to work for you or this is going to work for your community or this is going to work for your audience. I see people trying to carbon copy other coaches or other online um, brands and then they try it on themselves and it like, that doesn't work for you because it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel in alignment. Um, what is it that you found, um, with you, like showing up online, having this like sweet spot with feminism and, you know, getting people to feel more confident and what is the sweet spot that has felt so in line with like your values and who you are that you're like, yes, this is it. I think what has been the most fulfilling part of this journey has been my one-to-one coaching practice. Okay. And really it's kind of like, there's something about P 
people that I love and really having that relationship with clients, which is what I had with my Pilates studio. So if there was one thing that was beautiful about that journey was the bond and the, 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 the friendships that I made. Um, a, a lot, if those are the best memories I have. My whole London like network are these women. And, and if I have to say like what I find the most fulfilling out of coaching is my one-to-one practice. I love just talking to a person and like getting in their brains and then having a laugh and then doing some serious coaching and then, you know, teaching them some concepts and then following up on WhatsApp. So even though, you know, in the industry, they're telling you scale, 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 get bigger offers and less contact, more boundaries. People get results from being in your energy, like all that bullshit. Like if you have to tell me what I get a real kick is like a really, really amazing one-to-one 45, 60 minute, hour and a half, however long it takes to get the breakthrough for my clients and work with them. That's what gives me pure joy and pleasure. I love it. Mm. So it's definitely something that I'm never going to let go of, no matter how much the business books tell you and how many, how much other people have done this. If I have to say like what sets me on fire is to sit down on a Zoom call or in person and just have a relationship with somebody online. So I love that. The content creation, the courses, the freebies, all the digital stuff is important and it can really add value to their experience. But can I hold space for more people and still have that deep relationship and connection? Because that's what I deeply care about, really. Completely. Me too. Yeah. Caring about the humans getting change. Exactly. Um, If you could go back to the Alexa who has just had a first baby and you've got the Pilates studio and she's feeling really lost and down and, you know, can't see the future very brightly. What would you say to her in this moment? This still makes me really emotional. So (laughs) I think that I spoke to her from exactly maybe where I am now, but the belief that I that I that changed everything for me is it was like it does not have to be like this like because I feel that sometimes we get so sad and so stuck and so overwhelmed by life and that we think that that's it like I just have to get used to living this life the way I am now and there's no way out of this and um I think that the the, the power was like, it, it will get better and it doesn't have to be, it does like, this is not it for you. <laughs> like you do not have to become used to this life. Like you can change this. And I, I, I spoke to this version of me, the it was like, no, like, this is not it. This is not where it ends for me. Like, you know, and so it, you deserve a better life. You deserve to get out of this. This is not the, like, this is not finished. And so that was what I, tell myself, you know, I thank goodness, maybe haven't been in such a difficult life situation with myself, but it will, it does not have to be like this, right? This is not how you're, you do not have to get used to this level of emotion or these life circumstances. And I think that that's what I would tell her in that moment. And I think that's what I did tell her in that moment. And that's why I changed because so many women don't. And that's why I became a coach, because I thought about that version of me who had nobody. And some women can't get out of that thought process, right? 
And what if I had still stayed there? But I was like, no, 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 no. You know, you, you, there, this, there's a better way. There's a better way to live. And mm. since then, it's been a better way to live, really. I figured it out. And so it's, I mean, you're always figuring it out. But to get out of that, uh, that hard, hard period of life, which is almost, it's still a topic of, you know why? Because I kept it to myself so much. And I think that that's why it's still coming out because I haven't really talked enough about it, you know? And so I think it's still something that I held to myself a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable and going to that place. I know it's going to help so many women listening to this episode because I know so many people get stuck in that place of rock bottom, of not knowing the way out, of not knowing the first step. And for, for you guys listening at home, that there is always a way out and there is always the ability to change. And it may not be an overnight change. It may be a hundred or 356 little steps and that takes you to a year and you you can change your life in a year or a lot less but it is possible um you have the power inside it's all inside you Um, and that's my biggest message is that come back to the most amazing version that is inside of you that little girl dancing around or the little girl that was like full of life that she's still there and that it's, there is a, an ability to connect with that person, to bring her back to life and get her wearing red lipstick and, and colorful colors and dancing on screen yes, and inspiring women. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've come a long way, you guys. Like, I know, you know, sometimes you follow somebody or you f- find them here and you're like, oh my God, you know, and, and we all have stories to share. Obviously, we don't share every day. Like, you know, it's not about that but it is about knowing that i think we're all working towards something right we're all trying really hard um i don't really love the marketing message of like how life is easy and business is easy and i think it's, it can be a little bit misleading especially for startups and people trying to make that first step in life um it's hard we're all working really hard here you know we're all doing our work every day and feeling scared and feeling ashamed and <laughs> and still like showing up a little bit and, and creating something valuable. So I think that's the secret. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alexa, for sharing all of your advice and stories and uh, wisdom. Where can people find you? Where do you want to send people if they're like, oh, I like the sound of this lady. Let me go and find her. Where, where do we want to send them? Guys, I am an, on Instagram only a mother of three many platforms can feel overwhelming so just alexa underline costa a-l-e-k-s-a it's a k-s my mom complicated my life underscore costa like the costa coffee and (laughs) and you can just hang out with me there Um, there's some links and stuff at the moment i'm working on projects so my client base is closed till next year um but I'm there every day. So DM me, chat, download my freebie. <laughs> um, 21 days of confidence. Um, but it's just like, I just think of my page as like a really energy boosting space, really honest and some tips and tricks here and there. And then it's just friendships and connection. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alexa. This has been wonderful. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but 
When people show up and be vulnerable and honest and raw, it is my favorite type of conversation. So I hope you enjoyed listening to Alexa and her journey, her struggles, her highs and her lows, because guys, this is what life is about. There is no easy breezy way of going into life, into motherhood, into your business journey. And so I really appreciate all of the advice and wisdom that Alexa had to share. If you enjoyed this episode or you know someone that would enjoy this episode, please share it along, send the link. If you're sharing online, tag me. Um, I always love sharing the love. And by you sharing the love, it helps women out there who are feeling lost, who need a boost of confidence or just need a boost of inspiration. This is how we have a ripple effect on the world, empowering women by women, sister by sister, mom by mom, cousin or friend, work colleague. This is how we make an impact, guys. This is how we help women feel less alone in this thing that we call life. And we can rally together to help women join with women and start feeling better about themselves. If you're not already subscribed, hit the follow button in Apple or Spotify. And if you would love to live a review on Apple, uh, your words mean everything to me or a five-star review on Spotify also is amazing. So here we go until next week. See you later.